We're going to be talking about the fear of the Lord this evening as we continue in this series of awe and wonder. Um, and to kind of set the scene or maybe not to set the scene or, or kind of set the table, I thought it was really important for us to just take a glance at Acts um, chapter 6. Don't, I mean, excuse me, 9, but don't turn there. I'll, I'll just read it to you. Acts chapter 9 verse 31 says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. As we are thinking about 40 years, 40 year anniversary, and the vision that God has given to us continuing to go forward where we hope for another 100, 140 years, if the Lord tarries, that we will continue to be effective. And it's so important that we see this component of the fear of the Lord as an essential building block in your life individually because it's going to have the impact of the life of this ministry. That we have the right reverential fear, the right respect, the right perspective of who God is. And that that is always kind of in the core, that is built into the foundation of who we are as a people and you as an individual. Because other scriptures tell us that from one generation to the next can have such a great impact on their view of God. With that being said, let's turn over to Acts, excuse me, um, Psalm 34. As we are kind of taking a look at the greatness of the God that we serve and kind of awe and wonder. Um, my sister, Pastor Tiffany, last week preached an excellent job. Um, she did such an excellent job on the holiness of God. And the fear of the Lord is really, as I've kind of titled this or subtitled this, this, this um, sermon, is a proper response to the holiness of God. Fear. The fear of the Lord is a proper response to the holiness of God. And what I believe what we'll see is um, reflections from a man who has fear of the Lord and it comes out in song as he's kind of dealing with the turbulence and the per persecution that has kind of been drummed up in his life and the situation that he finds himself in he decides to write this psalm and that is David and I intentionally say David because this is before he becomes king he hasn't gotten to that space of influence within the nation in fact this particular psalm was written um, as he was the fugitive of the state. Saul had turned his back on him. He had actually tried to kill him, throwing a spear. Um, in the process, David had to leave his wife and to leave a covenant friend, Jonathan. He was really out on the run. And he had some men with him. And we see the story in 1 Samuel 21, which if you have an inscription on um, this particular psalm, it tells us that this this story or this, excuse me, this psalm was written um, kind of in light of what happened in Psalm 21, where in his haste to get away from Saul, after going to the priest in Nob and getting Goliath's sword and or the sword he killed Goliath with and some holy bread, he goes to Gath, a Philistine country. He finds himself in the presence of the king of Gath. How foolish that must have been to go to the land of your enemy with the symbol that you are the one who killed their great champion, as had been said earlier. Their champion was Goliath. 
And so he had to feign kind of being crazy. And God blessed him in that situation and got him out of there alive. And these are his reflections that kind of come out of that season of his life, kind of immediately after. And, and I think it's important to set it up because David was probably hiding in a cave when he wrote this. Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate righteous. Those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the work that you have done in all of our lives and how you are drawing us closer and closer to yourself. As one of your servants, Daddy, I ask that you will use me as a tool to communicate your message. Fear of the Lord, as I understand it, is something that really you have to cultivate on the inside of us. We can kind of talk about the impact on the individual's life, but to truly be changed, Lord God, you have to help us. And so I ask that you will use me as a tool to communicate well, um, give us ears to hear and a heart to receive. In the name of Jesus, amen. When we talk about the topic of the fear of the Lord, I think there are certainly some images that come to mind. And what we're going to do this evening is kind of look at this Psalm 34, kind of through the prism of the fear of the Lord. I think four or five times David says here, and uh, he uses the word fear in this particular Psalm. One time he talks about other kind of fears. And then there are three other times where he talks about the fear of the Lord or fearing God. And so the first thing that I want to do is kind of define what the fear of the Lord is. I think that that would be really important. And I think as we kind of use this prism of the fear of the Lord to look at this particular scripture, one of the first things that jumps out to me is that fearing the Lord is not the same thing as what we may categorize as a natural fear 
or an evil fear. There seems to be something different because David says in verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. He delivers them from their fears. Uh, uh, verse 4 is a better example. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. So there's some kind of distinction that we need to make in terms of defining what the fear of the Lord is. Natural fear is, you know, the reason why we don't go play out on um, on Interstate 66, you know, you have a natural fear of this two, three-ton vehicle slamming into my body at over 70 miles an hour. That's a natural fear, right? Right? Like I, 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 I um, remember a time I was at the DC Zoo and we saw a lion, and it was it was kind of cool because the lion. I took note of how far the lion was away from me. There was like this giant fence. It was a lot taller than me, right? And then there was like this big gaping kind of like a moat is what I like to call it. It was pretty far. And then it was like a huge hill. And you see the lion sitting up there just relaxing, like kind of overseeing his kingdom. It was limited by fences, but still, it was his kingdom. He stood up and he roared. And my first response was to back on up <laughs> because a natural fear overtook me that this animal could surely crush me. So there are natural fears. I think in many ways God designed us to have natural fears so that we don't destroy ourselves. We don't hurt ourselves. We don't hurt our neighbor. That we would take the proper precautions in certain situations. And there's what I would like to kind of ref refer to as evil fears. And sometimes even natural fears can move over into this category because I think evil fears are anything that would prop itself up so that you would become disobedient to anything that God would have you to do. As we, we kind of peruse this particular psalm in verse 11, David says, come, old children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Um, verse 13, as he's talking about that, one of the things he says is keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. I once heard it said that a lie is detestable to the Lord, but it's a clear and present help in a time of trouble. Our desire to get out of situations because of fear that the boss might fire me. Or maybe I, I don't want to get spanked because my mother has uh, uh, found out something that has happened and she did not spare the rod. And, and, and maybe I've, I would kind of change the story up and be a little deceitful to get away from the punishment. That fear, that 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 natural feeling of not wanting punishment rose up in such a way that it prevented me from being obedient to the Lord. We find David's situation when he is in front of Abimelech, which many scholars believe was just a title that the Philistines used as a way of talking about um, their kings, the king of Gath. Achish is what you will find in 1 Samuel 21. We see that he had a fear of dying because his life was truly on the line. On one hand, he had Saul, king of Israel, had made him the enemy of the state, and he's running from him. And now he's in enemy territory. Where his life is on the line. These type of fears kind of rose up in David. 
He says that God delivered him from them all. See, this evil kind of fear not only kind of turns you away from God, from being obedient to God, but if we're not careful, we don't even see when God is able to help us when the natural fears kick in to deliver us from that. This evil fear is one that we feel in our culture today, right? Like there are pandemics. We see financially if you're starting to kind of... um, Maybe buying a home or something like that, that inflation, interest rates have gone up. If you travel far, the gas prices and things, how is life going to be sustained? If we're not careful, we start making decisions independent of what God's purpose is for our life. So we have to be able to understand that there is a type of fear. But there's also one other fear that I want to talk about that I put in that evil category. And I think you will see it. In Exodus chapter 20, here, David, uh, just keep in mind, David said in, in Psalms 119, he loved the scriptures. He said he tried to keep it before him day and night. This is how he lived. So I'm sure that episode like this would have marked his memory, even as he is writing this psalm. Exodus chapter 20, um, what we find is Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They've come to Mount Sinai. Moses is going up to receive the the um, Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20 kind of gives us some insight into what that experience was like. It wasn't a burning bush this time. The, the entire mountain seemed to be on fire. It was smoking. As God came down, there was lightning and flashes. It was an awesome scene, certainly. It must have been. And let's look at the response. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. That you may not sin. God's every intent was for them to get a glimpse of this God who is holy. And in the presence of the holiness that they experienced, it caused them to recoil. We see Isaiah in in chapter 6 of of Isaiah. He said, woe is me. When, When he had an experience in the presence of God. This is a good response, but I say that it's evil because if you look at the previous chapter, chapter 19, verse 9, Moses tells them that when the trumpet blasts, you will have an opportunity to come to him. But this natural fear, this fear that comes because God is an all-consuming fire. He is totally different than us. His, his holiness causes angels to cover their eyes in his presence and yell out, holy, 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 in response to him. That is a right thing. But the evilness that came into it was one that caused them to recoil from him and run from him and not want to engage with him. You've got to understand that this is the same God who had led them by a cloud by day, who was giving them fire at night, who fed them with manna, who, who fed them gale. He, 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 he delivered them from Egypt's hand. He has shown himself as a kind provider. 
He's shown them his goodness. So God brings them to this situation because they didn't properly understand what the fear of the Lord is. They didn't want any part. They wanted Moses to be the, the, the mediator between them. This to me is an evil type of fear that we face in the church. And so there was a, there, there's a history within the church, kind of large C, where we see that there is an overemphasis on how scary God is, how we have to have a certain level of reverence in his presence or he will destroy you. I believe we're in a generation that has moved out of that ditch into a different kind of ditch where we see God as one who is kind of like a celestial grandfather. Somebody that's good. Somebody that I can go and talk to and I can tell him whatever. I can do whatever. And he's, he's okay with that. I mean, he'll forgive me. You know, the blood covers me. I say that because in my own personal life, I had an experience with the, kind of encountering the fear of the Lord. In February 2002, it was a life-changing moment for me. I grew up in the church. My mother got saved. I remember I had to take some albums to the dumpster and my life changed. All of a sudden, we were going to church all the time. Man, we were going to church all the time. So much so, my boys would be like, man, when don't you go to church? We were in what was called a holiness church. And that was the kind of church where women weren't allowed to wear skirts above their knees. They weren't really supposed to wear makeup. I mean, I mean, at that time, I remember one of the pastors talking about, you know, the TV was a toy of the devil. And you're not really supposed to go to the doctor. There was kind of this. And, and, and so my proclivity to get away from that type of fear of this kind of God, I think, led me into a space where I was a lot more casual, a lot more familiar with God. And before February 2002, if you would have asked me, was I saved? I would have said, yes. I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. I would have told you that, right? But it was in February 2002. I love this guy, um, Warren Stallworth. He had badgered me about listening to some sermons because I talked the church talk with him. And I've shared stories about this before. But it was in listening to that sermon. I finally broke down and, and started listening to some sermons. And, man, I, I, I distinctly remember because it was right after 9-11, a few months after that, um, and we were, I was a part of Operation Enduring Freedom as I was in the Air Force, and, and we were kind of doing some things at an island, Cyprus, and I came back home to the States, was sitting in my room, and was listening to this sermon, just playing, and Ephesians 1 comes on. The preacher, I don't remember the sermon. I just remember him reading Ephesians 1 from Ephesians 1. It was a piece of the, the, the um, scripture that says where Paul writes that we were chosen before the foundations of the earth. It was in that moment that something changed in the room for me. Like all of a sudden, there was an awareness of God's omnipresence. And... All of the things, all of the ways that I had been living, the things that were displeasing to him, they were right before me. It was, it was like God was letting me know that he knows. You know, I might have got, got away with it from somebody else's point of view, but he knew. He knew. And fear came on the inside of me. 
Because I felt his holiness that this was not acceptable to this God. It's because I had lost sight. I had jumped into the other ditch of becoming extremely casual, kind of familiar with God, that I had a lifestyle that was so displeasing to him. That it lost sight of having a proper balance. Actually, I didn't even know that there should have been a proper balance. It was in that moment that my life changed and I became a disciple. Any fear that pushes us to disobey God is not the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? Psalms 34, 9. I think it communicates the idea of reverent, a reverent attitude towards Yahweh that necessitates trust, obedience, and loyalty. Trust, obedience, and loyalty. If you look at the life of David, he, one thing that he wouldn't do in this episode as Saul was chasing him, he wouldn't strike Saul down even though he had opportunities to take him out. I mean, this man was trying to kill him. He wouldn't do it because that was God's anointed. He was loyal to God. Even in facing the enemy at Gath, as opposed to joining the Philistines, I mean, my goodness, the, the, the king of Israel has turned his back on him. Why shouldn't he defect? I mean, isn't that some of our responses sometimes? If I can get in your business a little bit. When some Christian hurts me or I hear about some Christian doing something evil, I decide I'm just going to walk away from God. David didn't have that. The fear of the Lord inspired him to be loyal. And obedient. We see in Abraham's life the uh, fear of the Lord that marked him could be seen in him um, being told by God to offer up his son. Do you know in that scripture it says the next day he got up to take his son who he had waited 25 years for to go and sacrifice him? There's an instantaneous obedience that comes when we are properly walking in the fear of the Lord. In the Garden of Gethsemane, even Jesus himself, where in Isaiah it tells us that, that he had the spirit of the fear of the Lord on him and he delighted in the fear of the Lord. Even in that garden, he's sweating blood. Our Lord and Savior, our champion said to the Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. The fear of the Lord demands obedience. And then we have to trust him. You see this field in this psalm that the afflictions of the righteous, the, 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 the troubles that come our way, the, the brokenhearted, the, the crushed in spirit. It's a part of what life is going to be like. The fear of the Lord allows us to stand in a space where we trust him even through it. We trust him when we don't know the next step. I think those evil fears love to take advantage of that because we don't know because our kind of the iniquity of our heart, this, this grabbing for autonomy, the, the wishing that we were sovereign and we could be the ones that captain exactly how our past would go. We often find ourselves falling into sin because of a lack of trust. 
the proper response to the holiness of God. Is one where David says that I boast in him. David tells us that he's finding his identity there. Not in his situation. Remember, he is in a cave. He is running. He is not in this exalted space. He boasts in the Lord. He said that, man, he was in awe that God would answer his prayers. He said, this poor man cried out and God heard my cry. We don't take that for granted. There's a proper fear of the Lord in your life. This response to the holiness of God is similar to Isaiah. Send me, I'll go. I'll do whatever. I serve at your pleasure. Because we know that there is an infinite difference between this God and ourselves. And he is one that we can truly trust in and give our lives to, to lay it out before him. I think another thing that we can grasp not just in find, figuring out ways to define um, what the, the fear of the Lord is, but then we can also begin to distinguish some of the promises that you see, in, at least in this psalm. I mean, you know, there, there's some great things that are, are listed here um, within um, um, this particular psalm. Um, the fact that you will be delivered, right? Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Um, verse 9, oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Even in, in verse 12, which is right after verse 11, which reads, come, oh, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? I think often, especially if you fall into this ditch where we become too casual with God, we focus in on what God is willing to give you. The blessings. I mean, I fell prey to it. There's, there's a whole kind of genre of preaching that te- speaks about how God wants to prosper you. And that seems to be the only focus. At least that was my experience. So we, without realizing it, the deceitfulness of our hearts position us where we start to use God. Because we're kind of in that space. I think we can read this particular passage and because the fear of the Lord, that phrase doesn't feel too comfortable. We just disregard that David has connected these promises to those who fear him. There's a proper reverence. There's a proper trust. There's a proper obedience. Not, uh, I mean, you know, the Lord's been working on me for a little while about that kind of casual attitude that we have where there's no real reverence for the one who just spoke the universe into existence. You know, one of the passages that frightened me the most is in Numbers, man. Like there, were the, there was a rebellion against Moses and these guys, they come to Moses and they're like, man, we, you know, we hear from God too. Won't you, won't you let us lead or let, won't you? And talking crazy to Moses. <laughs> Moses said, all right, <laughs> we're going to allow God to, to do this thing. God says, man, tell them to come out and everybody connected to him, their family, anybody that want to stand with them, they stand with them. Moses had, um, God had Moses, Aaron back up, and opened up the earth. And they fell down 
and he closed it back on him. Don't get it twisted, man. Our God is an all-consuming fire. He is. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus tells the disciples, the apostles, as he's commissioning them to go out and he's let them know how bad things are going to get. I mean, he's told them. He, he did not hide it from them in any kind of way that, man, you're going to have to flee towns. There are going to be people who want to kill you. But Jesus said, look, don't fear him who can kill the body. You need to fear him who can kill the body and cast the soul into hell. In verse 31, he goes on to say, man, if you're not willing to confess me, then I won't confess you to my father. We are supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. There has to be a sober approach to who God is and how he has revealed himself in holy scriptures. We, as a people, as a community, if we want to see the city won, as it says in Acts 9, that first church, they multiplied. And an essential component to that was that they walked in the fear of the Lord. This psalm helps us to distinguish. Not only in the areas where choosing evil, he, David tells us what God's response is to evil. But he also helps us to recognize that it's the fear of the Lord. Those who are marked by the fear of the Lord. Not just those who have confessed Jesus. That's how my life was. before. Not, and please don't hear, man, I've, I've, I've discovered the fear of the Lord. Now I'm perfect. I'm not saying that. But I lived a lot more casual towards God. Not really understanding. Because God was willing to identify with me by sending his only begotten son to die on my behalf. But that at the end of this whole story, that people are going to be brought to account for every idle word. I fell into a ditch that had me consistently living a lifestyle that I kind of monikered a Christian atheist because I would say it with my mouth, but I lived as if God didn't exist. How much more disrespectful could I have been in that position? Faith, the fear of the Lord distinguishes who really are the children of God. Finally, I believe we are seeing in this psalm the heart of a disciple. One who has lived out what Jesus said the greatest commandment is. One who is living it out, working it out. And by no stretch was David perfect. But I think, man, he tried to love God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. But that was, that's what marked him. So not only did he say, I will bless the Lord at all times, despite my situation. He invited others into that space. Because that was something, as they magnified the Lord, that helped them to help him and those that he who that were a part of his group to keep God in his proper space that he is a big God that we can't get lost in the trees and lose sight of the forest that man there might be a circumstance here in the moment but am I making a decision that has eternal um, ramifications that this is 
the kind of life. This is what we see in this particular psalm of, of, of David as he's, he's saying these things. Come, old children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. This is one who is a discipler. And there are, there are certainly some things that he distinguishes. He helps us to see how lying is not something that if you have the fear of the Lord that you will engage in. That you will turn away from evil and, and turn to good. You will, your life will be marked with a desire to find peace. Before I get out of here, though, I wanted to give you some, some example that I think came from David as we look at the words of Solomon in Proverbs chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 very quickly. Because I think there is something of a cultivation that has to take place. What I found personally is, as I was kind of indulging in the prosperity gospel, I found myself once again kind of backsliding into this casual view of God as him just wanting to give me all of these things and not having a proper balance that we need to have in response to a holy God. And so here is a strategy that I think David taught Solomon, and certainly this has come from the Holy Spirit for us to see. So let's quickly look at verses 1 through 5. Hopefully you've been able to turn over there to Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. We see that's marked in David's life. David wasn't perfect, but he said that he loved scripture. By way of the Holy Spirit, one of the things he's saying in his first verse is that, man, we can't be passive about this thing. It's not just I come here, pastor, tell us on Sunday, I'll come on Wednesday here, pastor AJ, and, and then I'll make sure I'm here when Bishop is here and, and I will get it. No, 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 no. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, man, are you just rushing through your daily devotional if you're doing a daily devotional? Are you receiving these words as if whoever the icon in the industry in which you work is, if they were to give you some advice? If Warren Buffett was to tell you, man, these are my top, top secrets on how to make money. Would you treasure that? Would you pull out your, your phone and record what he had to say and then play it back? Do you treasure up the words that are coming from the one who knows all things? Do you? You have to become aggressive. You have to go after this. You can't be passive in this process. Number two, verse two, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Don't just allow the word to confuse you and you just move on. The Holy Spirit will guide you and lead you to all truth. Why we have small groups so the discussion can happen, so the manifold wisdom of God can be seen there. And there are times where you'll find that, man, Pastor Duke came and preached exactly what I needed to hear because I had some questions. I've made my ear attentive to hearing that. Or maybe as a parent, there are times when God has, I know, spoken to me 
when I wanted to reprimand my child for doing that one thing again. And God says, man, don't you do the same thing to me? My ear has been tuned. Your ear can be tuned to to, to begin to capture wisdom. I incline my heart for understanding. I don't want to just get the knowledge. I want to understand. Verse 3, yes, if you call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding. Do you spend time in prayer talking to God about life's situations? Do you cry out? It's one thing the enemy loves to snatch and keep away from us. It's a part of our covenant right to be able to talk to him. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. You can hear from God. Yes, you. You don't have to have pastor in front of your name. You don't have to be a deacon or have to be on the worship team. You can hear from God because you are loved by him. You are loved by him. Matthew 10, once again, Jesus, after saying that you, can't, you should fear him who loves you, um, who can kill the body and, and throw the soul into hell, he also goes on to say you're of more value than sparrows. The numbers of the hair of your head, Scripture tells us, are known by God. You are loved. Speak to him. Friday night, shameless plug, is a great <laughs> time to do that as community. Every Friday night. At 7.15, we meet in the classroom. You can come one Friday. You don't have to come every Friday, but one Friday. Enough of that shameless plug. Verse 4, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, man, it's not always going to be easy. But if you dig, if you treat it like the pearl of great value, sell everything you have for it. If you go after this, Hebrews 11 says that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You will get reward. And then finally in verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. I can only describe what the fear of the Lord is. For you to really know it, man. For you to really understand it. David taught his son. The Holy Spirit is teaching us that you can't be passive in this process. You have to go after it. And God intended for us as a body to go after it together. And it's not just you on your own. That you have a band of brothers or a sisterhood that you can be a part of. The couples can gather together. The singles can gather together. Whatever our life situations are. That we can gather together and that there's going to be somebody who can see my blind spots. Not as a way to gossip, but as someone who can help sharpen me. I got to make a commitment to that. I can't wait for my brother to do that. I got to wait. I got to do it first because I fear God and that's what he wants. That's his desire. He wants us to operate as one. Cultivating the fear of the Lord in your life. David shows us in Psalms 34 that we are cultivating the good life. And he ends the psalm saying that the righteous will not be condemned. The heart that has been cultivated to capture the holiness of God and to respond in holy fear and reverence, giving him trust and obedience and loyalty. It's the type of person who stands before the Lord and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. That you're invited into this love affair. This love relationship. 
that in turn we can invite others into. The hopelessness that you can see on the news or you see on the gram or on TikTok. That the kingdom of God is available for those who are outside of it. With the proper fear of the Lord, I'm willing to stand up even when it feels uncomfortable to share the truth that's going to bring life to so many others. Before we go into a space of just kind of celebrating the holiness of God, when every eye closed and heads bowed, maybe you're at home. If you don't know this God who spoke the universe into existence, whom all men stand in a space of rebellion towards if they have not received the free gift of eternal life through Jesus. If you stand outside of the kingdom of God, I want you to know that the kingdom of God has been made available to you. That Jesus himself has secured a pathway where you can be redeemed back to God. If that's you and you would like to Acknowledge the King of Kings and the free gift that he's made available to you. Please raise your hand or indicate that online. Anyone at all? Raise your hand high that I may see it. Amen. Well, maybe this discussion you find that, man, I don't have a proper fear of God, that I kind of just, I've had the wrong view of it. I thought the fear of the Lord means I should just be terrified of him and run from him and recoil. And so I rejected the thought altogether. If it's an unbalanced view of God that has prevented greater intimacy, then I would love to pray for you now. Is there anyone here like that? See that hand, see that hand. Let's pray. And then we're going to take some time to just enter into a space of worship of this God who's holy and perfect and deserving of a proper perspective, a reverential awe. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. Just like you dealt with those in Israel, you know that we are made from dust and there is compassion that you have on all of us. And Daddy, there have been some who have been willing to confess that they've had the wrong view of you, that they've maybe become too familiar or they saw you as a tyrant. And Daddy, we repent of that perspective. We repent of that space. We ask, Lord God, that you will cleanse us of those thoughts, that you will renew our minds, that we may see you appropriately and respond in the balanced way that the fear of the Lord brings. And Daddy, I pray for this entire congregation, that we as Grace Covenant Church will grow in this area of having a right view. Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. Scripture tells us that the church that multiplies with the fear of the Lord can be healthy. We're here because of the work that that first church did, Lord. May that be something that becomes a marker of those who would call Grace Covenant home. We ask these things, and we are grateful that you hear our cry. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, family.